Morning everyone. We're in Luke chapter 15 and coming to the end of our consideration there. And I just want to read verses 25 to 32. Now his eldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said unto him, Your brother is come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve you. Neither transgressed I at any time your commandment, and yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this your son was come, which has devoured your living with harlots, you've killed for him the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, you are ever with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. I've suggested that the Lord was primarily uh, directing his parable, this parable, uh, at the Pharisees and scribes. But here in this last section, it is unquestionably so. We've noticed the immense joy and eternal blessing in each and every part as the lost are found and brought home. But here at the last is an element we've not seen previously that those who remain in their religious self-righteousness and refuse the entreaties of the Father are in fact the forever lost ones. They will never come into the Father's house. They will never experience the joy and blessings there are in store for the repentant sinner. What the elder son (coughs) said about the younger son was completely true, of course. And it may be this morning I'm speaking to someone or one's that can relate to the wayward and immoral lifestyle of the younger son. I don't know. The elder son was, of course, correct in condemning immorality and riotous living. These are the things that characterise our society and are the evidence of our fallen nature. And they will unquestionably be visited with divine judgment in the coming day if not repented of and forgiven through the sacrifice of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, on Calvary. but dare I say it self-righteousness is worse because as we have observed there is a way back from the far country as there was for that young man and all that that means but the maintenance of self-righteousness and thinking I have no need of repentance is eternally fatal I'll say it again, just in case someone missed it. The only righteousness that gives me a standing before a holy God and assures me of a place in his everlasting home is the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ towards all and upon all those that believe. Please notice, it is towards all, but it's only upon In other words, the possession of all those who believe. The Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes, these people to whom the Lord was undoubtedly speaking, were people who knew their Old Testament scriptures like the back of their hand. They observed all the laws and rituals, including their own man-made ones. They prayed in the streets, gave gifts to the needy, 
albeit blowing a trumpet to attract attention to themselves. They were very religious people, but they were not in the Father's house. Not even on their way. So here we have the elder son boasting in his self-righteousness, judgmental about his brother's sinful life, refusing to acknowledge his repentance and condemning his father's rights of mercy and forgiveness. As a result, he refused to come in and to share in the joy of his brother's return from death to life and from having been lost to being found. But there's just one more thing I'd like to share with you, and that is the older boy failed to realise that everything was his because of relationship, not as a result of working for it. That's the whole point. Scripture tells us about those who have been saved, born again into the family of God. It says, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That's almost unbelievable. If my Bible didn't say it, I wouldn't believe it. Just to think that because I have given myself to Jesus, that he is my Lord and Saviour, that I am an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ, that is the Christian's true and glorious future. And God's proved it, as the scripture says, by putting his Holy Spirit in the bodies and hearts of his children as the earnest, which means in a sense, a part payment. It's like an engagement ring, a promise of the wedding. It's the promise of that inheritance yet to be possessed, realised and enjoyed in a glorious coming day. So wonderful, it's beyond the words that I can express it. You see, everything that the father had belonged to the elder son. All he had to do was to claim it, not to work for it. It was what the father had given that could have been possessed by the son, but he thought he could only get it by working for it. You see, salvation is a free gift, not a payment for work done. Wages are one thing, a gift is completely free. Scripture says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And again, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. And again, by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So to conclude, what a terrible tragedy it would be if after years of serving the church, of being really very religious, doing good works, and perhaps even being able to quote large parts of the Bible and even trying to obey them, you still never came into the joy and rejoicing of the Father's house. All because you've never taken the place of a sinner in need of repentance, 
and receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. That's the only means, that's the only way to the Father's heart and to the Father's home. Jesus said to the question, we know not the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The elder son never understood the father's heart. He never appreciated that inheritance has nothing to do with work or worth, only to do with relationship. He never took the place that could have been his, the realisation of sonship. He just attempted in his slavery to self-righteousness to obtain his his inheritance from the one who he never really knew even though outwardly a son, inwardly a servant and a slave to self. But the younger son, aware of his sins and unworthiness, in brokenness and contrite repentance, and albeit a limited appreciation of his father's heart of forgiveness, was willing to take the lowest place and even to become a hired servant. But his father received him as his son and heir, bringing him into the full enjoyment and blessing that was his. Hear the pathos and absolute abundance of joy in the words of the father. This your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Where are you and I this morning? There's a verse I'd like to conclude with. It's found in Paul's first letter to Timothy. He speaks of the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. The word blessed in the Greek language is makarios, which means happy, supremely so. Here's something perhaps that we should focus upon more than we do, and that is the infinite and supreme happiness that our glorious God has in the message that brings a wandering sinner home into the position of sonship joy and rejoicing, inheritance and the eternal blessings of the Father's embrace and home. I was telling the congregation at a funeral of a Christian last week that God's word says that surely, that was the person that had died, was absent from her body that lay there before us all and she was at home with the Lord. Can I ask you humbly, I hope not too intrusively, Are you going home when you leave this world? If you're in the enjoyment of having been received and forgiven by God the Father, then that's your glorious future and your glorious prospect. God bless his word to you today.